0: He says this in family and in church life, there's always a huge gap between the ideal and the real. And For example, he gives is every autumn his family likes to go apple picking. And so he paints for us the picture of an ideal day of apple picking. The leaves are golden, the sky is beautiful, and it's 75 degrees. We all pile in the van and we start singing and laughing as we merrily drive our way to the orchard. We arrive early in the morning with plenty of time to enjoy the orchard. Surprisingly, the folks at the apple orchard say, today's apples are free for families. So our kids guzzle apple cider and stuff themselves with apple donuts, and they don't even get a sugar high. And finally, after a perfect day at the orchard, we drive home as our children keep saying, wow, thanks, Mom and Dad. But the real day looks like this. It's a disaster from the start. We, have at least, we are at least two hours late. The apple orchard closes at 5 p.m. and we're leaving at 3 p.m. It takes an hour and a half to get there, and I bark at everyone, we're going, so get in the car. We miss lunch because we're scrambling to get everything done. Our blood sugar levels are plummeting because we miss lunch, and my wife and I start arguing. I think it's her fault we're not ready, and we're leaving late. She says it's my fault. We keep arguing until the kids interrupt now because they're arguing with each other behind us. I turn around and snap at the kids, knock it off, I'm arguing with your mom. And we pull in the apple orchard, we only have about 30 minutes before closing time, so we tell the kids, hurry up so you can have some fun. And by this time of the day, all the good apples are gone and nothing's free. The entrance fee was outrageous because they know they can rip off suburban families or trying to pretend they're in the country for the day. And when we get the kids back in the van, it's already dark. And on the way home, we finally get our apples. We stop at McDonald's for an apple pie. <laughs> and unfortunately, family life and any life isn't always ideal, is it? And that's why the Christian life is an act of faith that has action that flows out of it. practice. And in the text that Rowan read this morning, uh, Paul wants these Corinthian believers to understand the reality of their behavior, the way they are living, is not in line with the true spiritual reality of what God has done in them. And he has given a long discussion of wisdom and pointed out that the cross is not simply just just another rabbit trail we go down to, but it is the issue at the center of it all. And the church is at stake, the purity of the gospel is at stake, when we abandon the wisdom of the cross. And the wisdom that these people are pursuing has stripped the gospel of its real power. The false wisdom, the, 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 the wisdom of the world, in other words, the way that the world says to pursue life. The values and cultural concepts in the world that say this is how you live. This is what the meaning of life is. Has stripped away the gospel of its real power in the church because that is what the church was operating according to in Corinth. And their pursuit of this kind of wisdom has led to divisions. And Paul has said, no, Christ is not divided. And so it's in this paragraph, chapter 3, 1 through 4, which is a big long section of chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through chapter 4 here. It's in now this paragraph that Paul makes a transition here from the one argument that he's already made, the point that he's already made, the nature of the gospel and the meaning of true wisdom, wisdom found in the crucified Messiah, now to what he already has addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse Ten, now I beseech you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He points out some of the contentions that have come upon them in verse eleven. People siding with their favorite speakers or their favorite leaders or favorite teachers in the church and pitting one against the other. And Paul will say later on, no, we all have, we all have one unified purpose. God just uses different tools and he's in charge of the, of the tools. And I was going to do 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9 this morning and realize that I can't, I can only do 1 through 4 this morning. We'll do verses 5 through 9 next week here, or you'll be here for a long time. So Paul here in verses chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, is making the transition and saying that the nature of the gospel, and the meaning of true wisdom, needs to play out in their division. In their division. And you can see in verse 2, really two clauses here, two parts of his statement here, that show that he's transitioning, he's changing now, here to now apply the theme of the crucified Messiah, the cross of Jesus Christ to these believers. He says in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for you before you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. So it's the yet now here he is focusing on. You're still not ready is what he's saying here. So he picks up the theme of being spiritual. I mean, look last week into the concept in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 16, really a watershed text, a very important text for you as a believer. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you need to understand the truth that you have been filled with the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. You have not just been saved from the penalty of sin. But God has separated you to himself and he has put your he has put the Holy Spirit of God, the very third person of the one true God, the Holy Spirit inside of you so that you now think differently. Your mind has changed. The lenses through which you through which you view the world are now vastly different. The old natural man, the man without Christ, could only see life one day at a time, one moment at a time and live for that moment. But the one who is in Christ now has the Spirit of God living in them that has delivered to them the mind, the very mind of Christ, the way of looking at the world and looking at eternity from God's eyes, the Son of God's eyes. And so that now that person can see where they came from and the emptiness and vanity of the old life, but yet the fullness that is in Jesus Christ now. And it doesn't matter... If that individual has a PhD or is a young child, that person who is in Christ has a far superior perspective on life and the purposes of life than the best this world has to offer and the brightest this world has to offer. And so we saw last week that God reveals his promised plan of the cross of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified through his spirit. And by the way, the messages are recorded, so if you... Missed last week, it should be uh, uploaded to our website shortly here. I really, if you missed chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, you really need to listen to that. Um, Not because of anything that I said, but because of the importance of that passage for the Christian life that is so many times just passed over and just given a token to. Oh yeah, you have God's Spirit in you. But what that really means is key for the Christian life. And some of you have been floundering for years and years. You've been saved for a long time. But you don't understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit in you. And you will not grow until you grasp that. I want you to, want you to understand that. So, just to review here, God says His gospel plan of the, of the mystery that's now been revealed, the promised plan revealed in Jesus Christ the Messiah, is only delivered through the Holy Spirit. He's the agent behind this and he said a few things, uh, the reasons for this because the Spirit is the one because he is the mind of God. He's, he's always uh, had fellowship and community with God the Father, God the Son. Uh, he knows the mind of God and he can search out the deep things of God, we saw. We saw secondly that he is able to show us who God is and reveal spiritual truths, truths of God because he is the fullness of God. God's Spirit is not just a force, He is a very real person. He is a person of God, the Godhead, the one true God. And He is the fullness of God. All the depths of God is where the Spirit swims. That's where He exists. And secondly, we saw last week in verses 12 through 16 that because of that, it is people who have the Spirit that have a far superior privilege in Christ, not because of anything they've done, but because of God's grace and people of the spirit now have an expectation that God gives them to now live according to the spirit of God living in them. And by the way, when we talk about the spirit of God, living them, living according to the spirit of God, we're not talking about this mystical thing here. What we are talking about is operating out of the truths of the word of God, the written word of God. Not, I feel this way, so I need to float over here, or I've tossed this way, or I have this urging, so I need... No, we're talking about that God has revealed His Word to us through the Holy Spirit. He has written it down. He has formed out His plan. He has told us who He is, and who we are, and what God has done in light of that, and how we are to walk, and so we operate in this book. That's what, that's what He's saying here. And so we do, as believers, if you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ, you have a heart that is regenerated, made alive. God's taken out your heart of stone and he's implanted in it a heart of flesh. You have the spirit of God living inside you. Very God, very God who brings things to life has brought you to life and he lives inside of you. And that's key. And the second thing Paul points out in verses 12 through 16 is that we're not like the natural man. You see, there's only two kinds of human beings in this world. There's not black and white. There's not rich and poor. There are people who are God's children who have the Spirit of God in them. And there are people who are the natural man. People without Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are not the natural man. So don't operate that way, is what Paul's um, line of argument is here. We are not the natural man. And we are to discern the world with a new way of thinking. A way of thinking that originates from God Himself to His image bearers, the people He's created. And I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? He quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 13, and it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, No one can know what God's mind is except those who have the one who knows God's mind, the Spirit of God. And look at the rest of verse 16. But we have the mind of Messiah. We have the mind of Christ, and that's how we closed last week. That God has given us a whole new paradigm to look at the world. To now operate by a new life. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 then will say in verse 1, And I, brothers, and he's speaking to them as brothers and sisters in Christ, He's acknowledging that they are that they he and uh, they and Paul had the same spiritual DNA. They have been born of God. But he says, "Brothers, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, even as to babes and Christ." Now, I want to remind you what that idea of spiritual means. That word spiritual means. We have loaded a lot of meaning into that word today and we talked about growing spiritually. We talk about spiritual people versus people who aren't spiritual. And Paul's understanding of that word spiritual, it means very simply this, people of the Spirit. People who are characterized by the Spirit of God living in them. And it is the great dividing line. I spent a lot of time last week showing from Paul's letters how he sees people as either people who have the Holy Spirit living in them and are walking by that or not. And so when he says this, I could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, what he's saying is this. He's not saying they do not have the Spirit, because he said they do have the Spirit in chapter 2. He's called them brothers, and if they're brothers in Christ, they have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. But what he's saying is this. That's the very problem. They have the Spirit of God living in them, and they are thinking, and they are behaving otherwise. And Paul is saying this very simply, stop it. People of the Spirit simply must stop behaving the way you are because it is not representative of life by the Spirit. It's representative of your old man, the old life, life before Christ. And so Paul is, 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 is saying that you are acting like simply human beings. Carnal is the word there. It means according to the flesh, according to simple humanity. Humanity without Christ. Those who do not have the Spirit. And so he's not talking about three classes of people. Unsaved, carnal Christians, and spiritual Christians. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying there are two two people here. In God's eyes, those who do not have the Spirit and those who have the Spirit, and you're acting like those who don't have the Spirit, the natural man. That is what he's saying here in chapter 3, verse 1. That's important to understand. He says this, <clears throat> he's saying this, that what is wrong is that they're looking at what is wrong beauty. They have redefined uh, what, what Christianity is, what God has delivered. And he's saying, you, you, you have been captivated by the world's definition of beauty and you have missed the beauty of the cross. You're looking over here at the wrong beauty instead of the beauty of the wisdom of the cross. Um, Blair Lynn, who is a spoken word artist, describes this wrong uh, view of looking at beauty versus the right sense of beauty in her poem entitled, The Perfection of Beauty. And she says this, Beauty is sold in exchange for a dime. Nothing to attract us to you, yet we worship your creation as fine. Captivated by its forbidden fruit. Pleasing our senses so we suppress the truth and eat the lie. Media's fig leaf, deadening our soul and mind. Sin blinding us to you. The only objective beauty that's truly absolute hidden in the symmetry of your goodness, glory, and truth, each attribute working harmoniously, justice with patience, wrath with graciousness, omnipotence with humility, long-suffering with faithfulness, each a note to a sweet melody, the ultimate hymn entitled, God's Beauty. Immutable. No change. Because dimes that we've exchanged get lost daydreaming in dark gutters. Unable to hear the call to wake up, they, the noose, dripping honeysuckle, lips pasted on with MAC makeup, if they truly beheld your beauty, you'd make magazines and Mattel go bankrupt. You sent your beloved to be lifted up on a beautiful, seemingly ugly cross. The visible image of your hiddenness, only you are beautiful and yet invisible, True beauty is spiritual. Therefore, sanctify our worldly minds. Your complexion is unappealing to lustful eyes. Besides, apart from new birth in Christ, sinners beholding your holy beauty would die. Therefore, beauty residing in the eye of the beholder is a lie. It is found in the beautiful one, the Most High." And so in 1 Corinthians 3 1 through 4, he is redirecting them from wrong beauty now to right beauty. And the problem is this in verses 1 through 4. We'll look at the problem and then the correction in verses 5 through 9 next week. But the problem is this: we are either living like people of the Spirit, or we are not. Very simple. We are either living like people of the Spirit. Or we are not. And so that is the, that is the message here in verses one through four. I couldn't speak to you, he says, as spiritual people, but as people, carnal, just living according to the flesh, living according to, without a spiritual, truly spiritual dimension, the mind of Christ. He said, I had to speak to you as babes in Christ. And he's saying this, fellow children of God, when we conversed, I couldn't converse with you like I I would to people of the Spirit. But I actually had to converse with you as people hardly distinguishable from other unbelievers. And so here he's directly applying this argument in chapter 2, verses 6-16 through to this situation. You, by the Spirit, have received the mind of Christ. And you understand the wisdom of God. But I can't address you that way. We have to go back to the basics here. And what Paul is saying is this. When he first came to the Corinthians, when they were unbelievers, and he came in Acts, I believe, chapter 18. He spent a year and a half. He came and he preached the gospel to them and he saw people come to Christ. And when he came and he preached the gospel to them and they came to Christ, they were natural men before that. And when they came to Christ, they were now people of the Spirit. People of God's Spirit Spirit. Community, spirit and dwelt community, the temple of God here. And how he addressed them before when they were unbelievers is now how he has to address them now, he says. And it's a shame is what he's saying because it should not be that way. Listen friends, either we have the spirit of God or we don't. And we saw last week the sign of the believer is having and operating according to the spirit. But friends, there can be believers who are living as though they are not believers. And Paul says, I will not have any of that. I will not put up with this. He tells the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, I will labor and travail like a woman giving birth until Christ is formed in you. He is not content with complacent Christianity. He is not content with somebody saying they're saved and never growing. No. The purpose of the gospel is so that you become who God intended you to be. It is why he saved you. You become like the son of God himself. Little by little, degree by degree, but there is growth. It might look like this, but there is a trend upward. It might look like this with big gaps, but the goal is to shorten the, the, the gap between the ideal and The reality here, Paul will have nothing of someone, he will not be uh, uh, satisfied with someone who says, I am in Christ, and lives like they are not. And so what we see here, with this truth is the problem, we are either living like people of the Spirit or we are not, is that we see in this passage that time isn't the factor. The time you know Christ is not the major factor here. Some of you have been saved for decades. Some of you have been saved for a very short while. Time is not the factor here. Look what he says. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For before you were not able to bear it. So before, when he came to the Corinthians in Acts chapter 18, he fed them the simple truths of the gospel here. Here. And God opened their hearts. They responded to the truth. They believed. And he says, neither yet now are you able to bear it. This had been three or four years now. Paul expects there to be some change in their behavior and their understanding and their growth, uh, a limiting of the flesh and, and, a, and a fullness now of the Spirit. He doesn't expect them to be perfect, but he expects their compass direction to change and an and overall progress here. And Paul is saying, really, I had to spoon feed you baby food when I first came. And that was okay. That's fine. You expect that with babies. But the problem is, I still have to. I still have to because you are no different now than when I first came to you. In chapter 2, verse 14, he, he talked about a natural man, right? A man without without God. Now he talks about people who are living like they are natural men, but he uses a different word. He says, according to the flesh, I'm having to address you as carnal in verse 1. And now in verse 3, for you are yet carnal. You are acting as though you are an unbeliever. And so he is saying this. He's not accusing them of not having the Spirit. But at the same time, he is saying, face up to your condition here. It is not in line with Christ. And the word here, carnal, is the word and It means their humanness, the physical side of their, their existence. Just being a human being. Instead of having the mind of Christ operating them. And it's not necessarily, ultimately, that they haven't made progress. The problem is they think they have. That's the problem. Do you see the difference? They think they made progress, but they haven't. And that's a serious place to be, isn't it? Very serious a place to be. They are grown-up adults in the world. They've made progress that way. They have not grown up into Christ so Paul's saying, you're mere infants. Because your progress is, you're very good at being babies. That's what your progress is. You've made progress of the wrong to- kind. You're growing into the world's values, the world system. And so Paul, they, they say, they, their argument has been in chapter 1, Paul, you're giving us milk. Come on. Go, go further with us. We want clever teaching. We want flashy lessons. And what they mean is we want the way the world operates and the wisdom of the world to be what Paul unifies his message around. But Paul is saying, I will preach Christ and Christ crucified. That is the milk and that is the meat. That is the meat. Paul is saying, I'm giving you milk and solid food, the wisdom of the cross of Christ. But instead, you're seeing it as milk instead of the solid food that it is as we go deeper into it. We don't grow, folks, beyond the gospel, the wisdom of the cross. We don't grow beyond that. If we grow beyond that, then that means it is insufficient for our every day. And that's a big problem. We grow deeper into it. Friends, when you came to Jesus Christ through salvation of the cross, the cross was not just the door that lets you open, and now, okay, I'm past that, and I'm on to bigger and better things. Rather, it is like the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia, It opens up a whole new world of the cross. The cross affects every area of my life. Being crucified to the cross and living the Christ. We never grow out of this. This is not baby food here. And so the milk, the good news of salvation, the solid food, understanding the entire Christian life is built on that same reality, the foundation of the cross. Those who have the Spirit should understand this is what Paul is saying. So here's the issue. Corinthians don't need a change in diet. They don't need to get move on from the cross. You know what they need? They need a change in perspective. They need to eat the same thing, but with a new perspective. Did you ever have a food you used to not like, but now you like? Brussels sprouts are that. I hated Brussels sprouts as a kid. I rather enjoy them now when they're roasted. (laughs) Lobster I did not like as a kid. You can't give me enough lobster today. I don't know if that means I matured or backtracked uh, regardless, but the problem was that the Corinthians didn't need to change their diet. They needed to change their perspective here. And Paul is trying to move them from their present fascination with the world's definition of how to operate their life and worldly wisdom back to the pure gospel of the crucified Christ, which Paul says is better than the filet mignon. Their problem is not with Paul, but it's with them. Paul is saying... um, it's not me, it's you. It's you. That's the issue. It's you. I'm teaching you what you need. The problem is you. They have redefined wisdom and they moved away from, from the true wisdom and the cross. They're mere infants. They've abandoned the gospel for something that might look have looked like solid food, but has no nutritional value. I was reading about An author who, in the 1960s, he sang, used to sing and play his guitar in a folk club on the west side of Vancouver, uh, during the hippie era. And there was a young man who would play with him in the beginnings, and that man started to, uh, to get into, get into drugs of the 1960s. And he was a good guitarist, and he could sing okay. But the writer points out, some way into the evening, when they were playing, he would take a shot of whatever drug he was using at the time, and the effect, he said, was revealing. Because once he was high, his playing and his singing actually got worse and worse. But he came off the stage thinking he had been absolutely brilliant and convinced of that. And no one could convince him otherwise. He didn't last very long. And the rest of uh, uh, the people tried to tell them the opposite. No, you're getting worse and worse here. And that's kind of what's happening here. These people have are getting high in the drug of the world here. And the way the world operates in the world system. And Paul's saying, no! You're messed up! You need to get back to life, uh, what, what Jesus saved you for, a life without drugs, and get into the Word of God. They had been using the drug of sensationalism. Amazing things that drifted and floated with the times. That's what captured their heart. They thought, that's what makes me more spiritual. And Paul says, no, that simply makes you merely human. But you are not merely human. You are people of the Spirit. And maybe by this time in chapter 3... What Paul has said to them in chapter 1, verses 10 through 17 about the strifes and divisions and how wrong that is. Maybe by the time they read chapter 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 16, they've been thinking, All right, he's off our case now here. He's left behind the issue that he started with, the idea of factions and divisions here. But in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 here, they're in for a shock, aren't they? Because this discussion about wisdom and the cross and maturity was all part of the plan for getting back to the point. Getting back to the main thing. They think they're some kind of super people, but they're deceived. The more they take the drug, the more immature they show themselves to be. And the proof of it all is they are infighting. You'll read in chapter 3, verse 5 through 9 about different Christian teachers. When I woke up this morning, on my mind was... Boy, I hope some people who came to the breakfast yesterday or would, would be here today. Um, I'd be, I was thinking about my sermon and saying, uh, I hope I got a good understanding of this passage and that God uses it for his people. When my daughter, Violet, four years old, woke up this morning and she was sitting at the table um, eating whatever cereal it was. Uh, what was it? Oatmeal. oatmeal. She was eating her oatmeal. She said, I wonder what pajamas Olivia's wearing today. <laughs> that was what fascinated her and was capturing her thinking. Her friend Olivia Davis. <clears throat> I wonder what pajamas Olivia is wearing. I heard that while I was sitting in the living room and thought we have a little bit different perspective, don't we? I didn't wake up this morning wondering what pajamas any of you were wearing, and you probably are <laughs> thankful to me for that what she's for, right? We expect that. And it's cute, that's why we can laugh. If I said Charlie woke up and he, Becky told me he was wondering what pajamas you guys were wearing today, you would be a little worried, right? Friends. I don't wear pajamas. <laughs> TMI, right, yeah. Um, the point I'm trying to make is this. <laughs> What if right now, at the snap of fingers, your spiritual growth was displayed in your physical body? What would that look like? Would there be people who may have been saved decades and decades and decades, but are not people operating by the Spirit, but by their own natural man? They white knuckle things, they try to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. They're trying to even maybe please God. And they've been here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And if that snap of the fingers would be revealed, they would be one year old with their thumb in their mouth in diapers sitting here. And yet I also know people who've been saved for just a short time and because of where their direction, they might not have all the knowledge yet, but because of where God has worked in their hearts and they've been obedient to the light that He has shown them, their compass direction is set in a certain direction, and by God's grace they have made up their mind, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And the difference between the two is this. One has been given lots of light and not done anything with it and one has been given just a small amount and is obedient to it. That's the difference. And Paul is saying, you're sitting in diapers still. Shame on you. Shame on you. It's all about you. Yeah, you take it in, you hear a sermon, you you hear a Sunday school lesson, and you have years of this under your belt, but you are still in diapers because you have not grown into what the Word of God tells you to do by God's grace, who you are to be. And so he says things like this. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying or jealousy and rivalry and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? He says, okay, here's exhibit A. Exhibit A. Your life does not seem to be any different than from the beginning. And he gives proof to them, evidence here. He says, You can't even understand the true nature of the gospel as people of the Spirit should, and you are exhibiting it in this way, jealousy and quarreling. You have these greedy, these prideful attitudes that are forming bitter disagreements. Aren't you really, when you think about that, if this is what characterizes you instead of a life of the Spirit of God, which imports the life of Christ into you, aren't you really like the world without Christ? But it all comes down to it. Aren't you living as though the spirit of God is not in you? Have you ever noticed that the deeper the water, the less stir, stir there is? We were uh, up at the Pittston Farms um, uh, last weekend. There for the men's retreat and the rivers were, and brooks were all swollen and they were, they were overflowing into the roads and washing away things. And the reason that they were making such a noise is because they're, they're actually very shallow. Actually very shallow in a lot of places and, and they make a lot more noise because they're shallow. They do a lot more damage. But believers who are operating according to the Spirit are like deep water. Deep water. There's little, that stirs them in damages, right? They can carry a good load, but they don't, they don't give out. Paul says, you guys are damage makers. This is what's going on, and it's a sign of you're not walking in who God has called you to be. Lance Morrow is an award-winning journalist for Time Magazine, and he had this idea. He said, what if I went through all the cultures in the world to find out if among humanity there is a universal joke that everybody laughs at. And so he sent out a query, he says, to all of the times, bureaus around the world, Moscow, Beijing, Tokyo, Sydney, New Delhi, Jerusalem, Rome, Bonn, London, Paris, Rio, uh, De Janeiro, Buenos Aires, and so on. And he said, he, he's wanted his correspondence in those times, uh, magazine bureaus to tell them one or two jokes that were current in their part of the world. And he said, it turned out there is a universal joke that every culture just seems to have. And it's this. It's what Americans refer to when they tell Polish jokes. It's what the Belgian Flemings have what they call walloon jokes, jokes of another kind of people. It's what the English tell Irish jokes, and vice versa. The people of Tokyo have jokes about people in Osaka. Uh, on the tiny island of Granada, all right, it's 113 square miles. People on one side of the island have a large stock, he writes, of vicious jokes about people on the other side of the island and vice versa. So in the, the universal humor in mankind is apparently this the other people. The other people, and that's what Paul says is going on in the church. Humanity operates this way. According, this is one of the values of the world, right? Make fun of the other people, draw distinctives and and uh, and, and lines in the sand here, and 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 lift yourself up by tearing them down. And Paul says, "Hmm." Verse three. You're yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as, and the idea there as men is the idea as simply mere men. That's it. Not men of the Spirit. Listen. There are activities of those who live in the Spirit, and there are behaviors of people who live without the life of the Spirit. And friends, these people's quarrels and rivalries... Confirm that their behavior actually is more attached to the present age than the truth that through the resurrected Christ he is broken into the present age and he has placed upon us his spirit through faith in him and those fallen twisted values of the old age are cast aside and a new mind of Christ has been implanted and Paul is saying I don't care what you say let me tell you the way you're living shows you seem to be way more attached to the present evil age. Jealousy was all over the church at Corinth. If we continue to read this book, we're going to see that they're going to constantly be looking over, the, over their shoulders at others in jealousy. They're going to envy the gifts of others. There's a little love at Corinth. Hey, by the way, there were long worship gatherings they had together, but they were not characterized by love. They were characterized by people exalting themselves. There was no appreciation of the different contributions and strengths that were brought under God by people like Paul and Apollos and the other gifts in the church. They were breaking off into cliques. They were refusing to mix with certain people of different views. And Paul is saying, this is despicable. Grow up. Stop behaving like babies. This is how young children behave. When they shout, I want that toy. I want that present. Or they stamp their feet and say, I'm not going to play with you. You're not my friend. That's what happens in my home sometimes. That's what ordinary, mere men, men without Christ and without his Holy Spirit are like. James says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. And what happened here in Corinth is that they had developed an autoimmune disease. Do you know how an autoimmune disease works in the body? A physician, Horace Smith, says this, that the white cells can see normal cells within the body as enemies and they try to destroy them. Some of you may even have some autoimmune disease, diseases you have wrestled with uh, your whole life. You know, it, it, autoimmune disease, the human body can bite and devour, words by the way that Paul uses in Galatians of, of fleshly people, bite and devour healthy cells and destroy life. Because these white blood cells mistakenly attack healthy cells in the blood, and it causes disastrous results. The immune system that God has given your body to protect yourself from the bad stuff can flip. And it can fail to recognize the components of the body as normal. And it can attack its own cells and tissues and organs and cause inflammation and damage and disorders Um in certain cases of anemia <clears throat> that are attached to autoimmune diseases, you may experience shortness of breath, tiredness, jaundice. And what happens is something has changed in the purpose. What was originally intended for the purpose has now been flipped. And friends, it, may it never be in God's church. May that never be in God's church. But we know it is because of 1 Corinthians 3. God intends for his body to be healthy, to nourish each other, to confront the true infection, to protect each other, to carry harmful waste away. But their life was no different from the world. Look what he says as I begin to wrap up here. For while one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? He's saying their life is no different from the world. Their behavior is like living from the perspective of the present age, out of one's sinful nature. Their life is no different from the world. Rather than being cross-centered, they are self-centered. They are mere humans. They, they have even considered the cross as not being very impressive, but foolishness, just like the world does. Their behavior is now stemming from a merely human, self-centered point of view. Oh, he says they have the Spirit, but they are behaving precisely like people who do not, like mere humans. And so what he's saying is this. What is intolerable, what Paul will not put up with, is people who say they have received the Spirit, they have come to Jesus Christ, and God's Spirit now lives in them. That makes you more than merely human. But what Paul will not put up with, and God will not put up with is this, to continue living as though that was, there was nothing else. Continue living like a mere human. Because when you receive the, new, the Spirit, you're made a new creation. In other words, you are put into a new age and not operating according to the present evil age. Your life is to be lived according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. If I had a plate of chicken and a plate of beef here, And you were trying to convince me that this plate of chicken was beef. And this plate of beef was beef. But I looked at that chicken and I smelled it. It smells like chicken. I looked at it. It was white meat like chicken. I tasted it and it didn't have the much better flavor of beef, in my opinion. It's chicken. Paul's saying, listen. Okay, I know you're believers. But honestly, when I do the eye test and I do the smell test and I do the taste test, mere men, natural men. Now allow the, unleash the Holy Spirit in your life, operate according to his values. Be beef. That's what you really are. I don't have time. Birch is going to do a, a good job this evening talking Continuing our series here on speaking the gospel in all parts of life, he's going to do a series tonight, beginning and then he'll continue in Sunday school later here, of from fruit to root and from root to fruit, analyzing what is it, what are the idols in my life that are keeping me from growth here, and repenting of those and letting the Holy Spirit have full reign in my life, and encourage you to 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 hear this kind of the application of what we're talking about this morning, but. On your own, you can read Galatians chapter five, verse sixteen through twenty-six, where Paul compares a life that is characterized—a life of the of the natural man, the man without Christ—versus a life of the Spirit, the fruits that flow out of both, the life of the flesh, life of the natural man, living outside of the power of the Spirit, living according to your natural old man. That Paul says has been crucified. Versus living in life of the Spirit. And he says the two are contrary to each other. They can't coexist. They can't coexist. I'll close with this. Blair, I open with Blair Lynn's spoken word poetry on the perfection of beauty, and I'm going to close with her spoken word poetry called Do You Know Him? And she says this Have you seen him? Do you love him? Will you give up all to serve Him? Do you know Him? Here comes the Lamb of God, passing by, robed in splendor, angels bowing at His feet, trembling in complete surrender. The heavens sing, clouds sway to the ancient of days. The core of the earth knows the Lord's worth and erupts in praise. Every tree fruitfully blowing in the wind, they know all things hold together through Him. And yet, the Christ condescends not for the trees, the elements, animals, or wind, but out of love descended like a dove to make sinners his friends. But we prefer a theoretical knowledge. And mankind is determined to examine natural things while neglecting opportunities to know the King of Kings. We prefer a theoretical knowledge, our degrees from Bible college when the kingdom of God is so close at hand. We would be changed if we would be still and acknowledge the son of man. He has spoken through his word that he is the word. We can commune with him, our daily food that he willingly serves, but we'd rather spend the time on a blog reading something we overheard. Rather than wrestling with God through these pages of truth, wrestling not to win, but so that we will always lose, if necessary, walk away with a limp or a thorn in our side so that we will humbly surrender any temptation to pride. Can't be content, tweeting quotes from men who labor in the presence of the Most High. We settle for secondary revelation, in other words, hearing from other people instead of digging in the Word of God ourselves, and wonder why we're so dry. Shallow like a bonsai waiting for a like, rather than an an eternal love from the one who gave his life. See, Jesus Christ is jealous for his glory. Before this globe was structured, he was crafting a supernatural story starring his mercy, co-starring his grace, directed by the hand of God. Truth is, we should all be on our face. Not on YouTube. Rather, lights camera action as we zoom into his crucifixion the only sacrifice which does suffice should motivate our contrition and set ablaze our delight not gathering information to add to our spiritual resume but digging it in our heels to comprehend the depths of his majesty every day not reading the bible to sound spiritually deep but savoring his word because his truth is oh so sweet. Have you seen him? Do you love him? Will we give up all to serve him? Do you know him? Personally, not heard it through the grapevine, that his grapes were crushed and poured out wine. Have we tasted his blood and eaten of his flesh, experienced his power to exchange his life for our death? See, we were dead, worse than in a grave. Enslaved by legions of demons, the prince of the air had us depraved. A spiritual death which transcends the flesh, creating an eternal heat wave which we rightly deserved. But while in our sin, God graciously chose to save. Now we have peace and serenity since we are no longer an enemy of the Trinity Free to get on our knees, confessing, Lord, I believe, as we put off sin to cleave to his divinity. Counting at all loss for the sake of Christ, anything gained in this world cannot be compared to the fact that we have been paired with, made heirs with, his holiness, who chose to spare us with himself. He gave us himself as our treasure. We have the privilege of loving him, our pleasure. From the moment we were born until forever ends, which is never. Have you seen him? Do you love him? Will you give up all to serve him? Do you know him? Let's close in prayer.